Well, I want to talk about God's Word. Let's go to the book of Hebrews. By the way, if you're new with us, we're not, we're not a political church. We don't go down this road, hardly ever even talk about things along these lines. Sometimes you just have to, you have to stand up at some point, and I, I do that. Our, our main goal is to proclaim the gospel message, the message of Jesus to the world. That's what our goal is. That's our desire, and we want to teach God's word. Book of Hebrews is Jesus is just better. He's just better. Now, what for those of, that, of you that haven't been around as we've studied this book the last few weeks, um, just the background is the, the, excuse me, the book of Hebrews was written to the Jews, mainly Christian Jews, Hebrew uh, Christians, who are, who, who's, many of them have come to Christ, but there's, there's also some of them who are weak in their faith. They haven't built a good foundation yet. That's why it's so important, Christians, that when someone comes to Christ, you get a good foundation. You start to get in God's word. You have some people helping you. We're always trying, encouraging people, if you come to Jesus, let us know, and we'll help you grow faster. We want to help you go, you know, go further faster in your faith and learn how to get the word of God in your life and how to build a solid foundation. Well, many of them have not got that solid foundation yet but there's what they didn't anticipate is this great persecution that's coming after them and they were persecuted their their families disowned them they were some of them were thrown in prison some of them were killed there were others that were saying to them listen you can be a christian you just have to kind of be be um you know hold on to your judaism and and so don't give that up. You, you need to come to temple. You need to make sacrifice. You need to do all these things that you were doing before, but just, you know, and you can kind of add Jesus to it. You can't just add Jesus to anything. Jesus is everything. And he must be everything. And so there was this, this pull upon them. And, and so the writer of Hebrews is writing them and saying, why would you take anything less when you can have the best? Why, why do you want to do that? Why do you want to take what is minor, what is less, what is, you know, what is limited, what you had before? Why would you go back? And we can see how that relates in our life as well. Why would you go back? Why, why would you want to even consider going back? to that which you left because it wasn't enough. And yet there's this temptation there, and we've all been in the place in our life where, you know, things happen, pressures happen to us, and, and we, get, we, we, we might have some doubts, and we might have some struggles. We might have some things battling, and, and, but there's answers to that, and, and actually he gives us these answers to how to battle those things, those doubts, and how to you know, build up your faith. Because listen, you want to be further along in your faith. You want to grow in your faith. Right now, you should be, you should be you know, pedal to the metal in your faith for God. You should be growing at a faster rate than ever before. There's no reason. Nothing should be holding you back. You go full force in, with Jesus. And so he's writing them 
And he's telling them, he tells them, first of all, listen, Jesus is better. He's better than the prophets. You know, you rely on the prophets of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and he's better than the prophets. He's, he's better than the angels. Some of you look up to, you know, that whole idea of, you know, angel. In fact, some of them, you know, it came out of a, a, a real strong, you know, understanding of the angelic uh, beings and what's going on with the angels and so forth. And he said, listen, you've got Jesus. Why do you even go there, right? And, and it makes you think about, because this all relates to us. Now, many of us are not, you know, most of us aren't Jews coming out of Judaism. We have some people here who have, but most of us, that's not the case. But we have people in, in fact, in this building right now, but certainly in our church, that were atheists. A lot of people who are atheists that have come to Jesus, or agnostics who have come to Jesus. We have people in our church that were Buddhists. We have people in our church who were Muslims. And they've come to Jesus. And when you look worldwide, that is happening all around the world. People are coming to Jesus. In fact, there's a move in the Muslim world right now where Muslims are coming to Jesus at record number right now. Iran itself is literally, is the fastest the, the Christian, the Christians in Iran, the church in Iran is the fastest growing uh, church in the world. It is growing so fast among the Muslim populations. We, we, we miss with a lot of things that are going on around the world, but that's happening. And when someone comes, I've, I've seen all this, that happen. I've never seen, actually in our church, I've never seen an atheist who came to Christ who went back to atheism. I, I personally not seen it. I, I know it's probably happened. Um, I've never personally known anybody in a church who was a Buddhist or, or a Muslim after they came to faith ever go back. They know what they came out of. Unfortunately, what I have seen is I've seen times where there have been Christians who have grown up in the church come to a place in their life. Oftentimes, they've gone off to college and all of a sudden, they're not believers anymore. I, I, had, I have a pastor friend of mine who I know, they're great parents. I know them very well. And I know their kids. And they were raised up in church. But their oldest daughter went off to college, came back after one semester and says, I don't believe in God anymore. I'm an atheist. And you go, what happened in that process? How come there's atheists coming to Jesus and there's Christians becoming atheists. See, this is what this writer is, is addressing in some ways. This, this problem that happens when someone has a weak foundation. You say, even that person who grew up in a good Christian home can have a weak foundation. It can be that they don't understand. Or there's another element to it. And I think this is the biggest part of the element. Of it. And let me tell you a scenario I've heard over and over again. I'm not thinking of one particular person. The scenario is this. A young person is, is, you know, grows up in church. They go to Sunday school. They've heard all the stories, but they've never really been born again. They might, they might have even been baptized in water, you know, at a young age. They didn't even know what they were actually really doing. We always try to 
mitigate that. We try, try to make sure that any, any child that is old enough to get baptized, that they understand. But listen, that can happen. They can grow, and, and it seems like because, listen, if a, if a Christian parent identifies that a child, their child is a Christian based upon what they don't do, you make the mistake of believing that there's something really spiritually going on. See, you train them. They don't drink. They don't chew. They don't go with boys that do. They, they don't, you know, they don't, they, 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 they you know, they're, they're, they're good kids. They don't do drugs. And so that means they're Christian. They go to church and they even sing the songs. But they're not alive in Christ. They go off to school and now they're in an environment in which they have professors that are giving, that are attacking their Christian faith, and they don't have an answer for it. They, don't, they have not learned the answer. There's an answer for every one of those attacks. Listen, it's not new. There's not one thing in the universities that are teaching against Christ that hasn't been taught for hundreds of years, attacked, and the church has snuffed it out. But in that environment where they have now taken, you know, they, 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 they are looked up to as being the all-knowing, you know, group of theologians. They're not theologians at all. That happens. And so they, they, they give them an excuse, but here's what the real issue is. You know what, you know what college and university is? Let, let's be honest. You know this. It's a big party. It's a chance for adolescents to, you know, for, to, to extend adolescence. You know, you're a teenager, which is, you know, teenage, th that was a new term. I think Reader's Digest was the first one to use the term teenager. We never had that. You were a child and you were an adult. Then Reader's Digest said there's teenagers. And now a teenager is, you know, we extend childhood through teenage, right? And, uh, and then now we have college and university so we can extend childhood even further adolescence and there's big parties there's not only partying there's not only drinking and drugs and all of that but there's also a whole lot of sex and what happens is the immorality is a temptation and if a child that grows up goes into that environment they're not ready for it they're surrounded by it and they submit to it now they have to deal with their conscience and it's easier for them to simply go, I don't believe in God anymore. My professor says it's true. Now, it's, it's more complicated than that, but that's the general scenario that happens. How I know this? Because what I find out is that they go through this process, they fall away from God, they usually end up either living with people, somebody, they get married maybe, um, they even have kids in some, some scenarios. They come back about 30, 35 years old, and they, all of a sudden, their life has been messed up. It, the, the world has beaten them up. And they look and go, you know what? Life was so much better when I was in church. And I need Jesus. And they come back. I know this because I have talked with dozens of people, more than dozens of people, that that's their scenario. I know there are people in the church right now that that was your life. That was the scenario, scenario of your life. And they come back broken. 
And Jesus, this is what Jesus does. The moment they come back, he runs to them and he embraces them and he holds them and loves them because he loved them all along. But their life has paid a price. And it isn't, it isn't transformed. It doesn't, Jesus will tra- transform them, but the scenario, the brokenness of their life takes a while for them to get back into the place. And that's what the enemy does. And that's the scenario that this writer is trying to keep people from doing, from walking in that way. Or even, even for those who would not go to that distance, wouldn't go that far, but you slowed down. You're, you're supposed to be running the race, and, and you're, you, you run the race like I, like I run. You know, physically, you know? It's more of a slow-paced walk. You might even be going backwards. But the point is simply this. You're supposed to be sprinting. You're, you're, you're a thoroughbred. You know, God has given you the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's the way you're supposed to be running. And so he gives us some insight to this in verse number one of, of, of chapter three. And you're probably going boy, if we're only getting to verse 1 now, we might only get through verse 1. So don't worry. He says in Hebrews 3.1, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. Holy brethren. See, if you're a Christian, you are holy. Holy. You know, another term used uh, at times is because someone is set apart. See, you're holy. You're set apart unto God. Something that's set apart unto God is holy. You are set apart unto God. You're not holy in the sense that you're perfect, in the sense that God is holy. You're holy in the sense that you are set apart unto God. And because you're set apart unto God, you are holy. Another term that's used for that as set apart unto God or sent by sent. Uh, sent, sent by God is this the term saint. You know, Paul talks about, you know, the saints in Ephesus, saints in Colossae to the saints. You are a saint. You're set apart under God as a saint of God. Now, I know some of you, when you say saint, your mind just goes directly to some dead person who has a statue. And they did something, and then people actually pray to these saints. Uh, That's not in the Bible at all. That's not even close. In fact, everyone that is a Christian, according to the scriptures, is a saint. You're set apart unto God. And so you can turn to somebody there and you're a saint. You know, you can tell them you're a saint. You you can see the halo already kind of glowing. You are a saint. You're a saint unto God. You're set apart unto God because you're a child of God. And he says also, he says, and this is, very important. He said, partakers of the heavenly calling. See, every person on the planet has a call or a purpose that God has for you. Everybody. Whether you accept God's purpose or not is your choice. But the fact is you were created in the heart and mind of God with a purpose for your life. And you were actually created for that purpose. And so, it doesn't you know, what, whatever, wherever you are in your life, 
will be determined how much you really are willing to say to God, God, I'm yours, do with me whatever you want. Fulfilling the purpose of God in your life. The first purpose, or the first part of your purpose and, and, and first step is to follow Christ. To, to give your life to Christ and accept him as your Savior. Be saved. We talked about that last week. This great, great, great salvation that he paid the price for us. So that's part of it. But the calling of God is beyond that. It's a heavenly calling. Eventually, you know, that calling will take you all the way to heaven in your calling with God. So, but it's what God wants of you today. You have a heavenly calling. He was saying to these Hebrews, listen, you're a partaker of the heavenly calling. What are you going to go to? What's better than that? For your life. You have a heavenly calling. You were created for a purpose. Why live your life? You were created for, for a purpose. And because of that, all your talents, all your abilities, everything that God has given you in your life, was he created you for that purpose that he has for you. And so you're never going to be fully fulfilled in your life until you find what that is and you pursue it with all of your heart. So he says, and then he says this, consider. Everybody say consider. Okay. I guess about two-thirds of you did. There's about a third of you that are in rebellion. <laughs> but you, you, consider. Why, what am I talking about? Well, the word consider in the Greek, you would just say, would you consider this? Yeah, that sounds like a good plan. You know, bad plan, good plan, whatever. You consider things. This word is put all, this word means to put all of your uh, mental energy, everything you have, focus on this one thing. All of your discernment looking at this one thing. Consider that means stop everything and stop thinking about anything else. Consider what? Consider the apostle and the high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ. He says, consider him. Now, he's not talking to non-believers. He's talking to believers here, Right? He's talking to these Hebrews who have already made a, a, a commitment to Christ, but they're weak and they're wavering and they're walking backwards instead of forward. He's saying to them, listen, stop. Consider Jesus. Look at Jesus. Because the problem we get into is the fact that we don't look at Jesus. We get our eyes off Jesus. We don't consider Christ. And he tells them to consider Jesus for, uh, uh, and he gives two reasons for them for it, which would not mean too much to us as, you know, Gentiles and coming in, not having the, the same background as these Hebrews did. But they, they believed in the old covenant. They believed, see, God gave the Jews, he gave them his his truth. He, he, he showed himself. He revealed himself to a people. Not for the purpose of only letting them know, but for the purpose of them spreading the news around the world. That was what God wanted for them. It never happened through them. But he had given them the opportunity 
to actually do that. But God gave them this covenant in which they could have relationship with God. As a nation, they could have a relationship with God. They could have their sins covered, dealt with, right? And he revealed to them a way of living in which they would live their life. Their, the best life that they could have would be lived out in community through his law, through his way. But while he was giving them for that, hundreds of years, he made a promise to them of something better. Everybody say better. Better. Of something better for them. And that was a new covenant. He says, I, I have a new covenant. Ezekiel says, there's a new covenant coming. And the new covenant would start with something better, and the and new covenant would come with the Messiah. The Messiah would come, and they would be looking for Messiah through their, all their history, and they would look at the scriptures, and the scriptures would tell them about the Messiah who's coming, and the scripture would give detail. And the thing that they, that they followed, the word of God kept saying the Messiah's coming, and even gave detail. Even detail. And Daniel said, this is when the Messiah is coming. More than 500 years before, Daniel gave a specific time, a specific date that the Messiah would come and die. And, and Jesus, just so happens, there was one, one person who actually did fulfill that. It just so happened on the same date that Jesus, I mean that Daniel prophesied the Messiah would come and die for the sins of the people, Jesus happened to die at that same time. So they could see this fulfillment of prophetic word. And now Jesus is there. But there's this temptation. The temptation is to go back. Maybe we have a little bit of Judaism and we have a little bit of Christianity and that works good. It kind of appeases everybody. encourage you don't appease anybody but God I don't there's going to be pressure in your life it's going to come all around you in fact you need to gear your mind if you haven't the Bible actually tells us this in first and second Peter it says gear your mind up for the fact that there is going to be persecution you kind of plan on the fact that you're going to face at some point what are you going to do when you face persecution are you going to compromise are you going to stand firm? You, you make that decision in advance. I'm going to stand firm. I decide with your help, Lord. And I can't do this on my own. It's not, not that I'm that strong. But with your help, I choose. When that persecution comes, I am not going to compromise. So they, they're faced with that. And, uh, and he says, I want you to consider the apostle... And high priest. The word apostle simply means also one that's sent. Sent to by and he Jesus himself was sent by the Father. But he said, then the high priest, and I want to tell you why he uses that um, high priest. You have to have kind of a Hebrew mind. I, I know we don't, but but learn listen, listen to this and how, how it functions, and many of you know this already, but for those who don't, the system that was set up by God for them was in fact a spiritual system that first had, they had priests. And the priest's job 
was to serve the people and be a go-between between the people and God. To take the needs of the people and pray and take them to God. It was also the priest's responsibility to take the sacrifice and make sacrifice for the people. They would take, in fact, sacrifices themselves and sacrifice for the people. They also had to sacrifice for themselves. And they also took the people's sacrifice and sacrifice for the people. That's what the priest did. But then there was one who was even higher than that, and that was the high priest. And the high priest's responsibility was a sacrifice for the nation. He was, a, he was a spiritual leader of the nation. Now, I'm going to take you to a, for, give me five minutes in this story. Just give me your attention for five minutes. I'm going I'm to help you with that. Everybody say Melchizedek. Okay. Melchizedek. Okay. Melchizedek was um, an interesting character who only shows up twice in the, in the Old Testament. And he shows up way back in the story of Abraham. Abraham's nephew went to Sodom, and there was a war, and Abraham was taken captive by the, en- the enemy of, of Sodom and, and a group of nations. Abraham heard it, and, I'm sorry, a Lot was taken. I say Lot was taken. I say Abraham was taken. Lot was taken. Okay. Um, Lot was taken, Abraham says, I'm going to go get him. He takes his 400 soldiers and goes after them. He wins, gets Lot back, gets some spoils from the war. And then this guy shows up. And it's out of nowhere. It's just a a kind of in the middle of like, it's almost like it doesn't even fit in the story. And, And his name is Melchizedek. And he shows up and the scripture says about him, in Genesis 14, just a few scriptures, that he was a king of Salem, which is Jerusalem. So get this. He's a king of Jerusalem. He's some Gentile guy. Nobody knows him, but he just shows up. He's this king of Salem, and he brings out bread and wine and gives it to Abraham. And, he, and it says he was the priest of, the, of God most high. So this guy shows up. He's the king of Jerusalem. And he's a priest of the God most high. First time in the Bible that term is even used. He, so it's, he, he has this knowledge of God. And he's not a Hebrew. He's not a Jew. But he knows who God is. And he brings out bread and wine. What's bread and wine represent? What is that? You know, we know it as communion, right? Represents the body and... and and blood of Jesus Christ in communion. So this is what he brings. And it says he blessed, he says, blessed be Abraham of the God most of God most high. So he blesses Abraham. He says, possessor of heaven and earth, blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him, Abraham gave him a tithe. So this guy blesses Abraham. Abraham turn takes it. This is where the tithe started. Right? Abraham takes a tenth of what he has and he gives it to this high priest. Uh, that's about all you hear at that point. <laughs> I know in, in these days you can't play with that. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but the, 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 uh, that, that's all we hear about this guy. 
until one psalm, a little psalm, in Psalms, in the, it's found in Psalms 110 and verse 4, and it's talking about the Messiah, and listen to what it says. This is it about this guy. By the way, the rest in the New Testament, all kinds of things talked about of him, but it's all taken from this, this one verse. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Almost sounds like a rhyme, right? A priest, God has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. That's it. The Messiah is going to be a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Well, what was Melchizedek? Melchizedek was a Gentile. See, there was an order of priesthood that God gave. They were under Aaron, Abraham, uh, under the seed of Abraham, Aaron, and, and, uh, and the priesthood. He says, but he says the Messiah won't be under Aaron's priesthood. He's going to be a priest, but he won't be under Aaron's priesthood. He's not going to be under the Hebrew priesthood. He's actually going to be under a Gentile priesthood. The Gentile priesthood is Melchizedek's priesthood. And there's all kinds of things about him. We won't get into that. You can read it in the book of Hebrews a little bit further and get some information on that. But the point was this, that he's telling these Hebrews who think the priesthood is everything that the Messiah is going to be a priest. What kind of priest? He's going to be a high priest, but not according to the Jewish priesthood. Jesus wouldn't be. He wasn't even in line of the Jewish priesthood. But he will be your high priest. That means he's the one that goes before you. Let me tell you the ramifications of that for you. I envision it this way. I know it doesn't happen this way. It's probably much much more efficient. You know, God is high tech. He, he knows, he, he's way more efficient. Than, but, but this is kind of how you get it. Rick comes to God. God, I need your help. God looks down and goes, so a sinner like you think you can talk to me? Do you know who you are? you know who I am? Jesus steps in and goes, he's mine, Father. He's mine. My blood has covered him. The Father says, come sit on my lap, son. Let's talk. Now, I know that's not a great, it didn't happen that way. Ramifications, though, are the same. A sinner separated from God. Because my high priest stands before God on my behalf, I have full access. In fact, not only do I have full access, I have been told, I've been told, come boldly to the throne of grace. Okay, Rick, don't hesitate. Don't hold off. Don't, don't be, you know, don't, don't be shy. Rick, stand up straight. You go right in there to the throne of God. God is waiting for you to talk to him. You go tell him your problems. You deal with things with God. You come sit with your father. He's your father. He loves you. He knows everything that's going on. He completely uh, understands the, de- and the, the things that you're dealing with in your life. He totally cares. 
He's greatly enjoy, uh, he, he, he has great joy when you come into his presence. But Father, I'm a sinner. No, you're not anymore, son. You've been covered in the blood. You've been covered in the blood. You're not a sinner. Don't even have to use those terms anymore, really. I hear Christians use that all the time. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Will you stop that? You're not a sinner. You can say this, I was a sinner saved by grace. You say, but I still sin, but that's not who you are. See, when you were a sinner, that's who you were. Now, you're a saint saved by the grace of God. You need to see your new identity the way it's supposed to be seen. Because if you keep living in your past, you're going to repeat it. But if you live in your future that is given to you by God, you won't repeat your past. You'll be running, 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 growing, 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 growing in your walk with God. We won't even say it that way. Not in your walk with God. With You're going for a jog with God. Right? You're going to run with God. That's what God has called you to. And as this book of Hebrews is to the Hebrews, says, don't, don't go back. God would say to you, don't go back. Don't even slow down. Actually, pick up your pace. Pick up your pace. You can grow in God. Heavenly Father, we thank you that, God, you are everything to us. Jesus, you're the center, and you're just better. You're just better than everything. Lord, there's nothing we can go back to that even compares to you. Lord, let not our shame and our failures, Lord, drive us, allow us to, you know, be driven away, Lord. Don't let doubt be turned into unbelief. God, let us bring everything to you. We consider you, Lord. When we need a counselor, we consider you, Jesus. When, when we, need, we need help, we consider you, Jesus. When we need hope, Jesus, it's you. We need peace, Jesus. We consider you. You're the only truth. You're the better name. You're the better judge. You're the better joy. You're the better leader. You're the better foundation. You're the better sacrifice. You're the better Lord. You're the better grace. We consider you. And I just want to say to anybody here and anybody that's watching online, can I just say to you, if, you, if you're distant from God, if you don't know Jesus you need him. And there's no need to wait. He made it so simple. You put your faith in him and the sacrifice that he made. It makes all the sense in the world. You just say to Jesus, Jesus, come into my life. You say to Jesus, Jesus, be my savior. Jesus, cleanse my soul. Jesus, I believe you died for me and that you were buried and that you conquered death. And I choose you as my Savior. I ask you to help me. I need you. Help me to grow. Help me to learn of your truth. Lord, I put you in the center of my life today. 
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You want to worship the better one? Let's close with that. Will you stand with us as we close? Oh, Jesus, you have won me. You've broken every chain with love and mercy. You have triumphed over death and you are worthy of glory and praise. Oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus, you have won me. You have broken every chain with love and mercy. You have triumphed over death. bless you. Have a blessed week. We'll see you Wednesday night for Bible study. Jesus, you have won me. You have broken every chain with love and mercy. You have triumphed over death and you are worthy of glory and praise. Shout it out. Shout it out. Yeah.